This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. All right, so you thought that you came tonight uh, to equip, but actually you came to counseling sessions. So we're going to go ahead and lay everybody out, get you like, you know, in a couch where you can sort of confess all your deepest, darkest feelings. I'm just kidding. Okay, we're not going there. Um, but here's here's where where the reason where this idea came from. Um, a lot of times people will feel like if they hit a bad place in their life that there's some type of social stigma. If they ever feel like they need to go to counseling, they feel like that they've now become one of those people. Does that make sense? Like you've sort of you've crossed this line, and now it's not like you're just a normal person, but now you need counseling. Like this is something severe. Um, I had uh, a few years ago I had a couple call me and they said, "Hey, can we sit down and talk with you?" And they they were acting kind of funny, and I said, "Well, sure. When can y'all come down?" And so they they came to the church office and we sat down and we talked. And uh, they've been married about two years, and they said, "I said, well, what's going on?" They said, "We're just so embarrassed." I said, "Well, what happened?" They said, "We're here for counseling." I was like. So what's so embarrassing about it? Like, we've only been married two years, and we're here for counseling. I was like, what did you think? You need to be here for like seven years married before that happens, and it's okay? They're like, well, two years, everything should be easy, right? And like, we should just be no problem. Like, you normally get counseling like later in your life, and we're already two years in, and basically the streak was broken in their mind, right? Okay, like, we're in such a bad spot that we need a counseling. I said, how about we call it something different? They said, all right, what do you want to call it? I said, how about we call it discipleship? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're going to tell me what's going on, and I'm going to teach you from God's Word how to do better in it. That's discipleship. Call it whatever you want to. Call it counseling. Call it discipleship, whatever. But that's what I'm going to do. I said, I took about three hours of course credit in college and counseling and another three hours in seminary. I am not a good counselor. But what I do know, I know the Word of God, and I can draw strength from it. But from that, I'll also say, because I'm a pastor, a lot of times people will come and say, hey, here's what's going on in my life. Can you help? Uh, navigate me. Um, and sometimes that scares the dickens out of me because I'm sitting here thinking, I, I barely know how to navigate my own life, let alone your life. But I know this, that a lot of people get to a certain place in life where they feel like they need some help, they need some guidance. And for whatever reason, a lot of times people don't want to say, I'm having an issue. So what I thought is that for the next few weeks, we would just have a group counseling session, okay, where you don't have to admit anything. You don't even have to say. You can just be like, I'm just here because, well, Nothing else to do tonight. Okay, that's fine. But we're going to talk through some specific things uh, that I look through. Uh, if, if I were to categorize the things that I hear most of all when people come to me and say, this is what's going on, can you help? These are some of the major issues that I hear. And so we're going to unpack one of them uh, each week. And so what I'm going to try to do is to kind of say, if I were to sit down with just you and me sitting down and you were to say, here's where I, I am in life right now, here's what's going on, Here's some of the things that I would try to encourage you to do. Right or wrong, if this is the best way or not the best way, this is probably what I would try to do and sort of help you with. And so um, tonight we're going to start off with a real easy topic called what? Depression. Uh, and, and I'm calling this the bleak perspective of someone who just feels like they are down and they cannot shake it. And once again, I'm not asking anybody to raise your hand that you are there, you have been there, but I guarantee this, either you are there, you've been there, or you definitely know somebody who's been, right? Someone who is just down and out, and it's like nothing is helping them get out of that fog. It's a bleak perspective. And, um, and this is one of the most hardest things, I think, for people to really understand these days, of really to figure out what does this mean and how should we even uh, think through uh, what depression looks like. And honestly, there's a kind of stigma on, on, on this issue of even how you classify this. Like, what is something that is depression? And so tonight, um, I want us to look at this, and it says at the beginning, are you depressed or know someone who is? How can you help someone who struggles with a bleak perspective? Let's draw strength from God's Word to help in dark times of the soul. Um, and, and so as we do this, here's some things that I'm just going to sort of unpack of maybe some things that I would either ask you one-on-one, -on -one, or maybe you could think about somebody that you would start asking and thinking about how you would help someone else. And so some initial questions, here, here's what I would normally start out with. Can you describe how you are feeling? And a lot of times people in church, people would say, can you describe how you're feeling? It's not about how you're feeling. It's about what other things, right? Feelings can deceive you. I agree. So tell me how you're feeling, right? Because how many of you know this? We are led by our emotions a lot of times. You, you may not want to be, but a lot of times we can 
be led by our emotions rather than leading our emotions. And this is such a critical thing. And so a lot of times you ask someone to say, okay, describe to me how you're feeling. And they may go, well, I just feel down. I feel like I can't do this. I feel like I've just been frustrated. Uh, a lot of times I'll hear someone say, I feel like I've been walking in a fog and things that used to give me joy, they don't give me joy anymore. Okay. Keep, keep, keep describing how I'm feeling it. And in the same way, I'll say this, um, if you ever get to a place in your life, whether depression is your issue or maybe it's marital issues or something else in sin, here's one thing that I try to tell every single person whenever they come to a pastor for counseling. I will look at them and say, I don't know what you're about to tell me right now, but I can guarantee I've heard it before. And I'm not saying that to diminish what you're going through, but there's nothing that you can say that's going to give me a shock and awe face like, oh, really? <laughs> you struggle with that? You feel that way? You know why? Because I believe this. We all struggle. We're all people, right? We all got our issues, and, and, and it manifests itself in different ways. But I'll ask somebody, how can you describe how you're feeling? Here's a question I think is very, very helpful. On a scale of 1 to 100, 1 being the most depressed and 100 being the most joyful, how would you describe yourself right now? Okay. On a scale of 1 to 100, and I don't even get, let y'all just sort of think through that for a second. On a scale of 1 to 100, 1 being the most depressed person in the world, 100 being the most joyful person in the world, where would you, where would you identify with right now? And some of you, this, will, this question will make you think for hours, and you're like, oh, is it a 72 or a 73? Maybe it's a 72.5, and I'm going, okay, you folks, we, we don't need to get that, that specific. But some of you, if I said 1 to 10, it'd be like, ah, I need something in the middle, right? Um, but it comes down to this. It's always funny, you know, when, when they come in, the nurses come into you at the hospital. What kind of pain are you feeling right now? 10, the worst pain you've ever felt in your life? One, I don't know, it's five, I guess. I don't know. I guess it's probably worse out there, right? They're going to ask you this. I think it's important sometimes to ask people this question. On a scale of 1 to 100, being the most, uh, 1 is the most depressed and 100 being the most joyful, how would you describe yourself right now? Here's what I find out when people um, um, will answer me that. And I'll also, really, I want you to think through a number for a second. You're not going to tell it to anybody. But if I were to ask you right now where you are on that scale, some of you would say, well, I'm about a 75. You know, not, not everything's perfect, but it's not bad, right? Some of you could not even imagine having a day like a 75 because you linger around a 40. Does this make sense? All right, all right let, me, let me think for a second. When you grew up in your house and you had different people in your house or maybe you had that group of friends, you know that person who was always peppy? Everything's great. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter if it's raining. There's sunshine and going in there. You know, everything's great. Everything's peppy. And you're either that person or you can't stand that person, right? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, don't you see what's going on? And then there's some people who, on their best day, they might get a little bit of a smile. You know what I'm talking about? There's just there's a different feel. So a lot of times why I like to ask somebody, said, okay, on a scale of 1 to 100, being the most depressed, whatever, how would you describe yourself right now? So for some people, they would say this. Some people, um, I, I think that a, a lot of folks will see uh, depression as a state you were either in or you're not. Does that make sense? Now, now here's where some people would disagree with me on, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that there's a lot of people who disagree with me on a lot of stuff. But um, I don't believe that there is a state of something that you could get in that God could not bring you out of, Okay? So now I will also say this. I think there are some people who have tried everything they can and they just can't get out of the fog either. You know what I'm saying? But I love this question because this is why. I think some people, we think that, okay, if depression is, if you go 50 or under, it's like, oh, that person over there is depressed. Well, what about if somebody's on a 52? What are they? Well, they're depressed too. They're just not as depressed. You, you see what I'm saying? Now, some people though, I believe that it can be such a, Debilitizing, like it just it completely changes everything. Your perspective. It is a real struggle, and some of us are just having a, a bad week. If that makes sense, but you're you're somewhere on that scale. But the follow up question is this: On a typical day, what would you say? On a typical day, on an average day, what would you give yourself? So, so you might say, well, today I'm a 63. On a typical day, I'm a 45. All right, we got a problem, right? If, if you just are normally at a, a low spot and you're at a 63 today because you heard a good song on the radio and you had a burrito for lunch, okay, that just got you up just a little bit. But on a typical day, what's your average? A lot of times I'll say, what's the highest you get? What, what's the most joyful you get? Someone says, I don't know, maybe a 60 or something. What's the lowest you get? 
Probably some days I'm around a seven or eight. Now, that's subjective, right? But what that tells me about someone is this. They're very, very low in a very, very dangerous spot. I think all of us here, without having to go into too much, I know this can cause a whole lot of issues to go up, but I think all of us have known the pain of someone who made a tragic decision in their life to end their life, and we never knew they were struggling that bad, right? A lot of times it happens. They go, what? Why didn't they tell anybody, right? They didn't, they didn't warn anybody. You just were, were shocked by it. And then there are some people, at least in my life, that I thought that person could do it any day, and they never did. They just kept pushing on. And you can't ever tell. And so a lot of times I say, where are you right now? What's a typical day? What's your best day? What's your lowest day? Where are you at? And a lot of people, sometimes they'll say, well, I'm at this spot. Can I also just tell you this? This is a side note from all this. But if you were ever to talk with someone or even if you came and talked with me and if I had some kind of reason to believe that you were thinking about injuring yourself, you know one of the best, most, the most healthy things I could do for you? I could call a hospital for you. And that might make you upset. But here's the thing. There are some times where I've had to call authorities and said, this person is in danger to themselves right now and they need to get some help. And I can't watch them 24-7, but somebody needs to. And you know what? That's a hard place for people to get to. But has that been a needed step for some folks? Yeah, it is. And sometimes people are so low, I'll, I'll say this. Um, you don't come to me with legal issues, right? You go to a lawyer. <laughs> and if somebody's at a place where they're about to endanger yourself, you also call in those people who specialize in those areas. And so sometimes I've had to tell people, like, hey, um, you know, if they'll, if they'll say to me as a pastor, I'll go ahead and just warn you all. If you ever come to see Pastor Trav, and you'll go, he's not that good of a counselor. I can go ahead and, spoiler alert, right? But if you tell me, hey, can I share something with you, and you promise not to tell anybody? My answer is, no, I cannot promise that. I will not promise that, because if you tell me that you're going to endanger yourself or somebody, I will tell somebody, and I'm going to get you safe. That's what I'm going to do. So if you, feel com if you feel comfortable and confident in that I'm going to handle this well, then yeah, tell me. Tell me what's going on, right? But on a typical day, where is this person? Now, here's a question you can ask. What factors are contributing to how you are feeling right now? What factors? What are the things that are contributing to the way that you feel right now? As low as you feel, as high as you feel, and you say, well, this is going on, that's going on. We'll unpack that just a little bit more. So what are the factors that are contributing to how you're feeling right now? Some of you feel a little bit off today, and you don't know why. It's because it's cold and rainy. Isn't that right? Y'all realize like how sometimes petty we can be going, man, how in the world can my mood change because it's just rainy outside, right? It just can happen real, real simple. Here's a couple of things to think of. What makes it better? If you average around a 65, what makes it better? On the days that you feel like an 80, what was it that made you feel like an 80? You know what a lot of times I'll find out? Well, I've been stuck in the house and hadn't opened up the blinds and seen anybody in a couple weeks. And then all of a sudden I went out and hung out with some family. Oh, and you felt better that day? Huh, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you should get out more with some people who love you, right? Like you, you see, what are some things that, that help you out in those moments? Some people, uh, this is a, a, maybe a silly thing, but for some folks, I, can I just tell you, sometimes just getting outside is one of the best things you can do, right? Just being outside in creation, doing it. What, what are the things that, that makes it better? Here's another question. What makes it worse? What's something that can happen in your life that makes the way that you feel even worse? Some people, it will be certain situations that they go into that will make it worse. That They'll find themselves in situations and they go, I don't know why that on this day this always happens to me. Well, why is that? And you start asking these questions and sort of figure out where someone is. But here's some practical considerations that I would encourage everybody to think through. What social dynamics are impacting you? And this is important for, I think, all of us here to consider tonight. What social dynamics are impacting you? I've got to get to it. <laughs> what that means, yeah, well, what social, the relationships you have with other people, how is that impacting you? Okay? So how is your family members, how are your relationships going with them right now? How the closest, how the closest friends, what is that doing for you right now? Because some people come in and say, I don't know why I'm so depressed. Me and my spouse, we fight all the time, and I don't talk to so much, but now I get in a fight with this person, and I can't stand my coworkers. Huh. That might be part of it, right? Okay, like this is, a, so what are the, the social dynamics that you're around? Can I also say this? Some folks get into a depressive state because they're only around negative people. That's all it is. 
you're around negative people all the time. I've, I've shared this with some of you, but it, it's worth repeating. But when uh, Amanda's grandmother had to go into the assisted living home, first day she was there, she was just miserable. It was not that road she had lived on for 80 years of her life. She did not need to be there. She could drive as much as she wanted to, and she didn't know why anybody was putting her in there, and she was angry, and she didn't know what bingo was going to do to add a single hour to her life, you know, and all this kind of stuff. I don't want to be around these people. I don't want to do these things. Just negative, 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 negative. And we thought, well, this has turned out really good. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, we came by, and uh, we knocked on the door, and Mimi came, and Mimi had her hair fixed, and she had her makeup on, had her nice outfit on. I thought, Mimi, what's going on here, girl? Like, you know, like, just a pep in her step. She's like, well, and we were talking. She's like, well, I got to go. Mimi, where you got to go? Like, your family's here. She's like, I, I got dinner. And I was like, I thought you said you didn't like the meal. She's like, it's great. And I was like, okay, well, we walked Mimi down there. And guess what happened? Mimi, as soon as we turned around the corner, there's these three other ladies that said, Thelma, Thelma, come over here, girl. And it found out that she was the, the fourth member of what they called the Golden Girls, okay? Um, <laughs> there's a whole lot to go into that. But the four of these ladies, here's the thing. These three ladies loved being in that assisted living home. They loved bingo. They love the food. They love getting out and talking about their families and getting outside and taking walks around the building. And guess what happened to Mimi? The social dynamics, the people she was around, lifted her spirits, and she was a different person. Peer pressure is not something just for people in high school, folks. It's every age that we're in, right? So what are the social dynamics that are impacting you? If you are around negative people all the time, guess what? Probably going to be negative. If you're around positive people, does that make a difference on you? Absolutely does. Here's another consideration. What physical aspects are contributing to how you feel? What physical aspects are contributing to how you feel? A lot of people will say that your body, it's, it's all about spirit, it's all about mind, it's all about soul, and your body doesn't have anything to do with it. I beg to differ. If you're not sleeping, if you're not eating well, if you're not getting out, if you're not these kind of things, can that affect your mental state, folks? Absolutely can. Absolutely can. Um, does that mean that you need to be an Olympic athlete and whatnot? No, that doesn't mean that. But I can tell you this. A lot of times, and, and I'll say this at this point, but a lot of times people think, oh, you've got to, if you're depressed, you need to just get some, some, some mental, emotional kind of coaching here. Can I just tell you that one of the things that, that doctors would tell you to do, are you getting in bed at the right time of night? What's your diet look like? Are you getting outside and doing any kind of exercise? It's amazing to me at sometimes where people just get out and start doing a little physical activity that it'll change, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. And so you've got to make sure that that doesn't start bogging you down. Um, if, you don't, if you didn't sleep a lot last night, right, how good of mood are you in the next day? Right? Uh, how many of you know that, like, if you miss that meal... Or, you know, you miss lunchtime about 30 minutes. There's a reason they, they combine hungry and angry now into a word called hangry, right? <laughs> Some of you know that it's not just babies fussing like, I need food. Sometimes when our, our bodies just get off, it, it makes a, a big difference. And so sometimes that can be a consideration. Number three, what circumstantial challenges are you facing? What are those circumstances in your life right now that are really... Um, frustrating you, what are challenging you, these are things that maybe that are just happening. Your work's difficult. Uh, there's a lot of stress in the culture. There can be all types of different things. Bills are piling up, whatever it is. And a lot of people can feel like, I don't know why I'm so stressed, but well, there, there's a lot of stuff that's piling up. I'll give you a practical example of this. Um, every Thursday afternoon, I have a to-do uh, to do list item that pops up that reminds me to do before I leave the office at church on Thursday. Clean my desk and clean my desktop of my computer. Clean it up every week. You know why? Because something happens that the, the higher it gets and the more busy and crazy it gets and the more that I'm going, I think something's moving underneath that pile of stuff, right? And, and, and something happens when you are surrounded by a lot of stuff. What happens? Is it hard to focus? Yeah, it's real hard to focus. You're distracted by so much stuff. Well, a lot of times people are trying to focus on Jesus, but you've got all these things that are clogging up your view, right? You're distracting you. You can't focus, and so there's a lot of stuff that can challenge uh, the way that you're facing. Uh, number four, what spiritual issues need to be addressed? So it's not just uh, social or physical or circumstantial, but now it's also are there spiritual issues that need to be addressed? Is there issues of, of faith, 
purity, spiritual disciplines that you aren't addressing that could be an issue. For someone who says, I'm trying to live for God, and they're not going to church, that might be a spiritual issue that needs to be addressed, right? You go, okay, this is something that can contribute to that. And then number five, what unalterable realities must I accept? What I mean by that is, what are those things you cannot change? They're unalterable. You cannot alter them. You cannot change them. Don't y'all love those things in your life? We have a statement in our house that goes like something like this. When something happens and you, wanna, you wish it wasn't that way, you go, well, it is what it is, <laughs> right? Well, we can't, we can't change that. And I can change me. I can do some things about my circumstances. But sometimes stuff happens that you can't change. Can you make somebody in your family behave? Not most of the time. <laughs> can, can you make your employer act a different way or give you more money? No, it's unalterable. You can't change that reality. And so sometimes when someone who's struggling with a lot of stress, they have to say, what are those things I can't change? I got to stop acting like it's going to change, right? When I say it is what it is, I have to say this. What do I control? I can't control that, can't control that. Can't, those are unalterable. They cannot be changed. But what is it that I can change? And that's where you have to really help someone that's going through a challenging situation like this. So I want us to look at some biblical opinions there. I want you to open up your Bible to Genesis 37, and we're going to kind of go on a um, study of Scripture. And so if you were uh, meeting with somebody or, or you yourself were struggling with depression or you were to help someone, I want to encourage you to realize this. There's a lot of people in the Bible that struggle with some downright depression. I mean, some serious anguish of the soul kind of stuff, and somehow God didn't seem to be so upset with them but helped walk with them through it. And by the way, I'm also going to pull this out before I forget, but there's a, a lot of books that um, I have are written on this topic. Some of them I have read, but the best one I've ever read on depression is a book called Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness by Edward T. Welch. Uh, depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness, Edward T. Welch. He is very, very biblical, very practical. It's a very great book on depression if anybody ever wanted to get something in, in sight. But some of the things he would mention in this, and let me do as well, there's some biblical companions. There are some people in the Bible that had some really hard lives, right? And so what I've got is I've got a list of different uh, biblical companions, people that we can say, okay, they're walking the same journey as we are, right? They're going through issues. And what, are, what was it in there? I, I put a column there of what did they feel, or maybe what does something happen that would make them feel a certain way? And then... And the next column, there's a decision that I think each of them kind of had to make <clears throat> as a result of this. Because, folks, let me just tell you, for someone who is depressed, and that, if that's in this room or outside this room, you have to be very, very careful that in your low state, you don't give yourself a free pass to, out, to act outside of God's will. A lot of times people will say, well, I'm low, I'm down, all this is happening to me, so therefore I think I ought to get a free pass to do whatever I want to do. And we have to be careful in those moments. And so I want us to look at some of these people that sort of walk alongside us through the Scripture. Genesis chapter 37 is a guy by the name of Joseph. You remember Joseph, right? Joseph was the favored son of his father, which meant his brothers felt about him which kind of way. <laughs> Hated him. Uh, and one day they decided they were going to get rid of him, right? So in Genesis 37, uh, verse 28 it says, Then midnight traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So if your brothers beat you up, take your jacket, throw you in a pit, and then sell you to slave traders, and you watch them walk away with money that they've gone to you, tell me how do you feel in that moment? Mad? What else? Depressed, betrayed, frustrated, right? Abandoned. Uh, I want revenge, right? Get me out of here. I'm going to show these guys up. Okay, so, so, so any of those words that sort of hit you, I want you to write that feeling down beside Genesis 3, 20, 37, 28. So you have the feeling, right, of uh, depressed, angry, frustrated, abandoned, whatever that, that feeling is. Let me ask you a question. Did Joseph have a legitimate right to those feelings? Yeah. And don't be like, is this a trick question? No, your brothers beat you up. You have a right to feel bad, okay? You have a free pass to feel bad. What you don't have is a free pass to act in sin in that, okay? Go over a couple chapters to chapter 39. 
even though God, uh, there's a lot of things that happened in Joseph's life, God was for him and continued to bless him. Here's the decision that Joseph made. See if you can see what Joseph decides to do, even though he has the right to be depressed, even though he has a right to throw a pity party. Look at verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Now, so what was the decision that Joseph made? Yeah, he ran, right? He ran away from sin. And she was persistent. And what did he do? He continued to run away from sin. So he felt probably abandoned, frustrated. Um, he felt left alone. And what was his decision? I will not sin against God. Had he been sinned against? Absolutely he had. But he decides, I'm not going to sin against God in this. Folks, if you were in a low place, I, no matter what part of you are on the scale, how many times people have said this to me? Well, our marriage is in trouble because I did this. But the reason I did this is because she did that to me first. Okay, well, that justifies things, right? That, that, that's preschool talk, folks. He hit me first. You know, and, and at some point, you've got to move past that. Joseph says, this is done wrong to me, but I'm not going to do wrong to another. I'm not going to do wrong to God. So it's a refusal to sin in this. So that was the decision he had, right? He's refusing to sin. Now let's turn over. Let's look at old David here. Go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 42. By the way, sometimes if you read the book of Psalms, you will read certain things that David and other psalmists will write in prayers to God, and you go, you can't say that to God. Well, apparently you can. Because David would say some pretty harsh things. God, where are you? How long are you going to hold off from doing what you said you're going to do? You going to stay angry at me forever? Where are you? And just say these types of things. Now, if somebody were to come up to you and say, and you know, you know, we're church folk, right? So you go, how are you doing today? Oh, praise the Lord. Everything's great. Hallelujah. Everything, you know, the Lord's good to me all, all the time. God is, you know, whatever. That's how we normally talk. You walked up to somebody and said, how are you doing? I don't know where God is. He's taking way too long. I have been saying to him, you need to show up right now, God. We go, whoa. You can't talk like that and go, I'm just quoting the Psalms, right? I'm just quoting. The Psalms are this beautiful, they show every range of human emotions. And a lot of these prayers are, God, I'm depressed. I'm sorrowful. I can't get out of this fog. I'm trying, God, and it's still there. How long is it going to be? And, and David was part of a lot of that. Look at, um, uh, actually, well, I'm sorry, Psalm 42 comes from the sons of Korah here. And in verse 3, it says, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So once again, David writes a lot of psalms, but in this, another group of worship leaders are writing this psalm. But he's saying, my tears have been my food day and night. I don't know if you've ever had a crying fit like that. It went longer than just a normal sniffle, but it was, it was that one of those cries that you just felt exhausted from, you know? That grief that hit you. That unexpected news that hit you, and it just, it wasn't a normal cry. It was what I call an oogly cry, right? It's just, it is just, it, it doesn't end. You feel dehydrated from it. And this, the psalmist, they're saying, it's like my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where's your God, huh? Would this stuff happen to you if you, if your God was real? If God was for you, would this happen? And look what the psalmist, what, the, so the feeling is obviously depressed. The feeling is overwhelming sadness or grief. And look what the decision is in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? That, that's a beautiful prayer right there. Soul, I don't know why you're so low. <laughs> you start talking to yourself and saying, I, I don't know why you're in turmoil, but here's the decision. You ready for this? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Folks, sometimes you have to decide that you're going to worship even if you don't feel like it. You, you have to say he's good even if it is not what I hoped it to be. And so this decision was, I'm going to hope even when it seems hopeless. I'm going to worship even when it ain't right. I will say this, some of the most dearest and meaningful times of worship is when it's some of the most hardest times of my life. You ever been there? 
you, you just sit there and you go, I, I don't even know how I'm making it. And you look at the words in that book or on that screen and you think, can I really say that right now? And yet you decide, I'm going to put my trust in him. He's good no matter how I feel right now. I am banking on that. I believe with everything in my soul, and it's a decision to hope in him even when it seems hopeless or to worship even when there seems no reason. Turn over to the backside for a second and go uh, take a left turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And by the way, if this is a lot of Bible drill, you can just follow along with me. I promise I'll read it to you. There's a lot of verses we're going to look at tonight, so don't feel bad. 1 Kings 19, there's a guy by the name of Elijah. You studied this passage a few weeks ago in your gospel group. Um, but just as a reminder, I want to go through this because I think this is one of the most beautiful places in the Scripture about someone who is very, very low. Um, did Elijah ever experience a mountaintop experience with God? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty impressive time where he said, all right, I'll draw a line in the sand. Who's for the Lord? Who's for Baal? And he shows up and takes on a few hundred prophets by himself. And what does he say in 1 Kings chapter 18? I'm the only one left, and I'll take all you boys on. I'm the only one left. Everybody else has walked away from God, but not me. I'm the only one left, and I'm staying faithful. And what's interesting is the same words that he uses in uh, chapter 18 to brag, and chapter 19 becomes his complaint. God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left, God. I'm the only one left, God. And go, I thought you were just bragging about that yesterday. What happened? Well, he defeated the prophets of Baal when all that fire from heaven came down, right? And what happens? The queen hears about it, and she sends him a message. You tell him, he's going to be dead by this time tomorrow. And what does he do? He runs for his life. And I go, you just defeated a few hundred men. What is one crazy woman going to do to you? Well, okay. Okay, so you have to like measure that, right? He goes, I am over. I, I took on hundreds of men, hundreds of priests. I take them on. But one woman, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. He goes, no, she might do it. Okay, like he just knows she's got the power. She's got the resources. And so what does he, he do in 1 Kings chapter 19? Um, verse, verse 9, let's go to verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And even, in fact, if you go back to verse number four, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. That's called suicidal, folks. God's prophet, who probably just threw his hands right there in the midst of his prayers and his boldness, probably saw, I would say, easy top five things we ever read about in the Bible of God's just miraculous power up to this point. Easy top five. He saw that, and a few hours later, he's suicidal. Now, how in the world can somebody get that way? Some of y'all know. You know what it's like to be on cloud nine one day and then very next day, plummet. It's almost like the devil sees it. Oh, you're making progress. I'll take you out on your legs right now. And you, and you just plummet, right? So here's Elijah, one of the highest moments of his life, and the next day he is suicidal. And, and it is something that can be so, I'll, I'll say this, some of the most incredible successes of my life forever have seen God do something miraculous. I almost am looking going, where's the negative stuff about to come from? Y'all ever had that moment? Man, this is way too good. I'm about to get knocked down somewhere. Like something's going to take place, right? And this takes place that Elijah is so worried. So he's, he's feeling suicidal. He's feeling depressed. Uh, he, he's feeling alone, right? I'm the only one left. I'm nobody else. What was the decision we see in, in verse 19, uh, his decision, but I think this is important that uh, let's look at Verse 15 first, the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king of, over Syria, uh, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahoelah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. And if all of you are going, what in the world is he saying? God says to Elijah, who is suicidal and depressed, God, I just want to die. He goes, go back down the mountain and finish the job. 
I called you to do something, and I want you to finish the job, son. It's not over yet. Still got work to do. If I've brought you this far, uh, the, the, old, the old spiritual, one of my favorite worship songs uh, from yesteryear is, I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. I don't believe he's brought me this far just to leave me now, right? And so he goes, go down the mountain and finish the job, and then listen to this. Verse 18, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Hold on a second, Elijah. I thought you said the only one left. And God says, no, nah, there's 7,000 guys down the mountain. You just need to stop whining and get around people who still love me. Don't miss that. And so what happens, verse 19, so he departed from there and found Elisha. He, he does this. So what is he saying? You're all isolated, and that's part of your problem, Elijah. Get around some folks who love me, and you're going to be all right. There's 7,000 men down in the valley who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Get around those folks and stop acting like you're by yourself. Folks, normally it's the isolated animal that gets attacked. That they're going to pick you off, right? In the same way, if you feel like it's just all up to you, you've got to defend yourself and you're on your own, see what happens. So this decision, he got around some other godly people. He was not uh, alone anymore. Now let's go to a book of Job. Okay, turn over to the right a little bit before we get to Psalms. Oh, Job. Some of y'all read this book one time looking for a job, and you were very discouraged, right? I'm, I'm looking for one of those, and uh, you're not looking for this. Here's a man who feared God, turned away from evil, and all of a sudden Satan comes up into the area where God's having the business board meeting for the day with all the angels giving out assignments. God spots Satan and says, Satan, what you been up to? Huh? Walking around the earth, tripping up all your kids. Pretty easy. And what does God say? Have you tried Job out yet? All right, God, the only reason why he still serves you Everything's easy in his life. Start, start letting some things go bad for him. He'll be just like the rest of them. You put a hedge of protection around that man. He's soft, God. He's soft. God says, all right, you can mess with him, just don't touch him. Now, as far as we know, Job is not aware this conversation is going on in the heavenlies, right? I imagine he would have appreciated having a little forewarning, right? If he could have had a tap up in heaven going, what did he just say, <laughs> Right? And what happens? His, his crops get messed up, his houses get messed up, his barns get messed up, his children die. And what happens in that next chapter says, and as soon as this person's reporting this, this happened. And as soon as this happened, this happened. When it rains, it pours. Y'all have had days like that, right? One bad news after the next. It just seems like a hit. Seems like a hit. What happens to Job? He says, at the end of chapter one, he says, look, I came to this world with nothing. I'm leaving with nothing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Second day. Satan, what you doing up here again, boy? Why are you acting all, I don't know, soft today? What happened? The only reason Job still serves you is you didn't let me touch him. Let me touch that man. Guarantee he's going to be like all the rest. God goes, all right, just don't kill him. <laughs> That's a lot of options there, okay, for Satan to go through. A lot of options. And so what happens? He gets inflicted with all these boils that are so severe, rashes on his skin, the only way he can find relief, he breaks a piece of pottery to take a broken shard just to cut himself to find relief. Friends come up, see him. In a chapter two, this is, this is important. I want you to go to, I know we got a few different, uh, but chapter two, uh, verse number 12. Well, go, let me give you one more thing. Verse nine, this is an important verse to you remember. His wife looked at him and said, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Thanks, honey. <laughs> just like, <laughs> Look how bad this is. Just, just die, Job. This will make it a lot easier, right? And what does he say to her? You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Now, go down a few verses to verse 12. Here comes three of his friends. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. Have you ever seen someone in so much grief and so much depression that they can barely recognize them? That low. They just see him and they go, we don't even recognize our friend anymore. And then here's the best thing these three friends did. Verse 13, and they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. If we could just end the book there, they'd be great, right? They did good. They just got in the room and they just sat there with him and let him cry. 
They didn't say, well, you, you don't need to cry, Job. It's not that bad, <laughs> right? They didn't say, well, you need to. They just sat there with them. And that, folks, how, how many of y'all ever had that person who just, they didn't even say a lot. They were just there. And you needed it. You just needed them to be there. The problem is, is that Job's friends start to open their mouth in chapter 3. And from chapter 3 to chapter 37, they argue with Job saying, well, it's probably this, Job. You probably didn't pray long enough. You probably got some hidden sin. Your kids are probably all messed up. This is why it's happening. And Job is arguing with them. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. This is how Job feels. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb, and expire? What's that? I wish I'd never been alive. We should never been born. Go over to verse 26. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Some of us have felt that way. No rest, trouble everywhere. Go over a couple chapters to chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. How did Job feel? I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. He hates his life. That's pretty low, folks. And so when I read that, it doesn't seem so shocking when some people will say that to me. Now, that's how he felt. What was his decision? Look over to chapter 23. Chapter 23. I'd spend about six hours in these next few verses with you, but I will not tonight, okay? But these verses, goodness gracious. Chapter 23, he says, verse 8, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. He's talking about God. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. What is he saying? I'm looking for God, north, south, east, west, front of me, behind me, on the side of me, and I can't find God. Ever been there? God, where are you? I'm looking everywhere for you, no sight of you. I don't see anything good that you're doing. I am searching everywhere for you, God, and you're nowhere to be found. Where is the hope? Verse 9, verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. Catch that. Even if you don't know where God is, you take hope in the fact he knows where you are. He knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps, and I have kept the way his way and have not turned aside i have not departed from the commandment of his lips i have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food what was his decision <laughs> i'm going to trust in what i know is to be true i'm not going to take a free pass to sin and i'm going to stay in his word i treasure his word more than my next meal right now folks sometimes in the lowest points of your soul you've got to say i i need him more than i need that next meal and so there's this decision that he's got. We've got to go to a few other places. Take a right turn. Let's go over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's after Isaiah. Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. And it's not because he likes sappy movies or anything. Jeremiah complained and, and whined about a whole lot of things. He cried a lot, complained a lot. Um... And when he says a whole lot of these things, he's, he's being faithful to what God has called him, and yet he's also saying, God, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7, this is how Jeremiah felt. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You were stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. So he feels that he's been deceived by God. <laughs> He feels that he's the laughingstock. People are making fun of him. He has no joy. That's how he feels. But what was his decision? Verse 9, needs, some of y'all need to memorize this. If I say I will not mention him, he's talking about God. Jeremiah's going, if I just say I'm not going to talk about you anymore, God, or speak any more in his name, then in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. I say I'm not going to talk about you anymore, God, and yet I can't. I still talk about how faithful you are, even in the fire, even through the flood, even through the hard steps. I'm going to still decide. I'm going to talk about you. I'm going to call on your name. I'm not going to go away. Uh, a few more. Habakkuk. This is a small one. Ain't no shame if you just say, Pastor, you read this one, okay? Habakkuk chapter 3. 
Habakkuk is going to say something that may not make sense at first to our, our modern uh, ears. But in Habakkuk 3, the last few verses of Habakkuk, he says it this way, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. What does that mean? God, I'm feeling broke and messed up, okay? <laughs> I'm hungry, I'm broke, frustrated, I'm lacking. Ever been there? God, I... I mean, nothing's producing. I got nothing. I got, I got nothing in the bank account. I got nothing on the horizon. I got no prospects. This is bleak. That's how he felt. But what did he do? What was his decision? Verse 18. Y'all ready? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. What was his decision? I'm still going to rejoice even if there's no fruit on the vine. I'm still going to rejoice even if the bad days are full. I'm still going to rejoice. You know why? Because the Lord has enabled my feet to walk on these high places. Um, there's a group of deer that live in our neighborhood, kind of in the woods around it. And Amanda and I were taking a walk the other morning. And all of a sudden you look up and there's like five of them just staring at you. And you just kind of like just halt. And all of a sudden... Those five take off, and then another four just start take off on the side of the road. And they, there's this, like, I mean, really high incline that uh, the kids love to climb up on. And they, they go up there, and they go, Dad, you want to go up there? And I'm like, Dad would not make it to the top. If I made it to the top, i got to come down, and you do not want to see what that would look like, right? But as our kids, they're going to struggle, and they're going to climb up that hill and try to get there. But then when they're coming down, they've got to kind of inch themselves down, almost slide down it because it's such a sharp incline. And I watch those deer go, whoop. Just, just jump up it like it's no thing. And I'm going, How, man, I can't. You know, even if I was trying to chase them or something, there's no way. Because God has equipped them to do certain things that I cannot. And what is he saying in this moment? In my deepest, darkest, lowest, depressed moments, God enables me to walk on places that I could not before. He gives me the strength. He allows me to bound to places I never thought I could. So even in, in, when things are bad, I'm going to rejoice in God. Just for Tom's sake, let me, let me just give you these other real quick. John the Baptist in Matthew eleven three, 3, uh, John the Baptist was in prison for speaking the word of God. How do you think that man felt? I mean, frustrated. God, I did this for you, and now I'm in prison? So what does he do? He asks his disciples to go to Jesus and make sure he's the Messiah. And so what was his decision? Folks, this is something I think is beautiful. Follow me on here. You ever had a doubt in your mind about God? Ever had a question you had lingering? You know what John the Baptist decided to do? Take it to God himself. Go to Jesus. Let Jesus handle it. Folks, if you got a question, you got a real big concern, God's big enough to handle it. Don't keep it in your head. Go to him with it. God, I don't understand why this is happening. I need help. I need, I need you to show me. I need direction. Because you know what? John the Baptist comes up. Are you really the one, Jesus, or should we wait on somebody else? And everybody stands back and goes, oh, John said that about Jesus? You're the one who all your life's been, get out of the way, here comes the Messiah. You mean to tell me that he's questioning? And what does Jesus say? You go tell him the, the blind can see, the, the lame can walk, the deaf can hear, the gospel's being proclaimed, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And then he says this, nobody's greater in the kingdom of God than John the Baptist. You mean the guy who just questioned you in front of everybody? That's right. Why? Because he took his concerns to God rather than just sort of kept them to himself. It's important. Jesus how did Jesus feel in the Garden of Gethsemane? If there is another way, God, now would be the opportune time to show it. I don't want to do this, God. I know what's about to come. I'm not worried about the Romans. I'm not worried about the Jews. I'm worried about you, God. Your punishment for all these sinners is about to come on me. Is there another way? Take this cup. Pass it from here. What was his decision? Not my will. Yours be done. Folks, that's the way we need to live. Paul, how did Paul feel? God allowed Satan to come in and torment me and put a thorn in my what? Thorn in my flesh. What was that thorn in the flesh? We don't know. Some people think it's a physical ailment. Some people think it was um, bad eyesight for Paul. Some people think it was depression, serious state of depression. And you know what Paul said? I prayed and asked you three times, God, take it away. And what did he say? My grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power is perfected in your weakness. So he felt low. He felt annoyed. He felt frustrated. He felt tormented. But what he decided to do, he trusted that God's grace was sufficient for him. He knew it. It's enough. It's new enough. So when you look, do we have some biblical companions to say that they have had some dark nights of the soul? There's a few of them in there. And so you're not alone if you ever feel that way. And so these questions of what do I feel, but this is what, what I think is so important. A lot of times you talk with somebody, you say, what do you feel right now? And they say, well, I feel this way. And then you look at them and say, but what do you know? What do you know that's even stronger than your feelings? You go this, I know that God works all things together for good for those who love him and call it according to his purpose. Now, I don't feel like I see how this can happen, but I do know that he does that. What must I do? Here's some important warnings for us to walk out with. Uh, number one, never argue with what another person feels. Never argue with what another person feels. I just fixed some of y'all's marriage, by the way. Okay, just uh, If you would remember that statement. If someone says, I feel this way, ah, oh, you don't need to feel that way. They do. You cannot change the way another person feels. Don't argue with the way they feel. If they feel disrespected, they feel disrespected. You may not have meant to do that. They feel that way, and you cannot argue with a person's feelings. You are wasting your time. You shouldn't feel that way. I didn't mean that. That's not what they said. They said they feel that way. They feel that way. And so when you say something like, well, I'm just feeling this depressed. Oh, you, all, you don't need to be depressed. You, you, you've lost the argument. You've lost the discussion, and you've lost the opportunity to speak to that person. If someone says, I feel like everybody's against me right now in the world, and it seems like the sky's falling itself, I'm going to trust what they feel. I'm not saying it's right. I believe they feel that way. I believe some people have deceived themselves in the mind so much that they believe certain things because they feel a certain way. I don't think you can argue with that. Number two, never simply equate another's hurts with your own. Never simply equate another's hurts with your own. Someone says to you, you know, well, I just had a really hard life. You know, my so-and-so died, and I've been diagnosed with this sickness, and I've lost all my money, my house burned down, and, and you know, and, and I lost this and don't have that anymore. And you go, yeah, I had a bad day yesterday, too. I, I stumped my toe on the chair. <laughs> okay, well, that, wham, wham, right? Like, I mean, you just go, like, you don't, a lot of times we go, yeah, I know how you feel. No, you don't. No, you don't. You do not how somebody feels, right? Uh, can, I, can I even say this real, real practically? Um, growing up in, in my house, uh, my parents got divorced when I was about four years old. My feelings as a four-year-old boy growing up in a house without a dad was different than what my sister at age eight felt as a girl growing up without a dad which was also different than what my mom felt when a marriage had dissolved after years. Same thing happened, but did we all feel differently? Yeah, we did. And you know when we had problems is when I tried to say, well, my hurt's worse than your hurt. You're always going to lose that argument. <laughs> Why? You can't, you can't equate what you've gone through with what somebody else is, even the same event take place. Number three, don't seek to explain that with which you cannot empathize. Y'all know the difference between sympathy and empathy? Sympathy is, I feel bad for you. Empathy is, I can feel bad with you. I, I've felt that before. So empathy is, if you would say, oh, I grew up in a house and my parents were divorced, I can empathize with you. I've been there. If someone says, I have the pain of a broken marriage, I cannot empathize with you. I can't sympathize with you. I can say, that must be tough. But I can't say, oh, yeah, I, I understand how that feels. No, I don't. I don't understand how that feels because I haven't been there. So don't try to explain if you can't empathize, don't try to tell somebody, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. You should just get a better attitude. You, you've never been through that. You, you've never been through that. Folks, I've had, no lie, there's, there's a friend of mine that um, his wife, uh, when they have been married about 15 years, was in a severe car wreck, should have passed away. She um, survived for about 30 extra years, but had physical trauma and was very um, handicapped in a lot of ways for the rest of her life. She passed away a few years ago. And uh, this guy is a, is a college minister. And, you know, a lot of times people don't know what to say in a funeral receiving line. Y'all know that, right? I mean, people just, they try to make up something. If you don't know what to say, you just say, praying for you, bye. Okay, that's what you need to say. When these college students came up to him, he's literally standing there by his wife's coffin. And he goes, so you, you think you'll ever date again? Like, this is what this guy says to him right there. He goes, you think you'll ever date again? 
And he just he has this dumbfounded look. And he's like, hasn't crossed my mind yet. No, I haven't thought about that at all. People don't know what to say. And so sometimes you just start talking. Just be quiet. Be like Job's friends. Be quiet for seven days. Walk away, okay? In on a high note if you've got to, right? So if you can't empathize with somebody, you got to be really careful. You don't explain like, oh, you should be okay. Just go out there and live a little bit, right? That doesn't work. Number four, a complex issue is rarely fully addressed by a single approach. If we're talking about a complex issue like depression, can I just tell you something? Um, our world wants to give you a one fix for it. Let me be real with you. Take this pill and you'll be all right. Do this exercise, you'll be all right. Eat this food, you'll be all right. Get this essential oil, you'll be all right. Go to church, you'll be all right. It's never that easy. It's never. There are a lot of pastors who will say that medicine is not something you need to go down. That is not what this pastor says. I do believe this. Let me speak real honest with you. I think doctors in our society right now are very, um, they throw medicine too quickly at people. Too quickly. I think some people do need medicine. I don't think everybody that's on medicine today needs it. Are y'all following me? Is Pastor Travis saying medicine is bad? No, I'm not. I'm not saying medicine bad. I don't think it's the answer for everybody. But here's the thing. If somebody's a 30 on that scale of 0 to 100, if they get good medicine, you know what that 30 they'll get to? They're not going to get to 100. That 30 may go to a 55. Guess what? You still got a long way to go. And so what I'm saying is this. Medicine might get a 30 to a 55, and exercise might get a 55 to a 59. And getting in a church might get you to a 70. And eating better might get you to 75. And getting around some better friends and stop acting with all those foolish people all the time might get you to 82. You follow me? It's, it's, it, you're a multifaceted individual, soul, mind, spirit, body, you name all this kind of stuff. Stop acting like one thing is going to fix it all, right? So you say, we are complex individuals. You didn't get here overnight. You ain't going to get out of here overnight. There's a lot of things that you might need to address. And so don't get overwhelmed and believe anybody who says one size fits all approach. Y'all follow me? All right. Last thing. Next steps. What must I do to see progress in my life? If someone is here tonight and says, I'm, I'm in that place or I want to help somebody, what do I need to see progress in my life? You will not jump from a depressed state of a 30 to 100 overnight. The goal is this. Can we get to a 33 by the end of this week? Get outside. Get around some praying folk. <laughs> Whatever it is, read your Bible. Can we, can we inch up a little bit? And you know what we're going to try to do the next week? Get a little bit further down the line. Going to help out. Not saying we're going to have you all fixed by next week. It's never that issue. It never works that way. So we're looking for progress. We're not looking for a quick fix. Number two, what type of help do I need? Do I need extra counseling? Do I need to talk to a doctor? Do I need to talk to my employer? Do I need to look at some kind of way? What kind of help do I need to get? Um, and in the same way, I, I I'm not someone who can tell you about all the situations about medical stuff. I have a family member who uh, has been in and out of trouble most of her life, and when she found out that I had a doctorate degree, one day she asked me, she goes, so can you write prescriptions now? And I said, no, I, I, I don't have a doctor like that. She goes, well, what good is that for? I said, apparently nothing, right? Uh, she wanted to say, can you, can you write me? And I said, I'm not that type of doctor, okay? I can't, I can't fix those types of things. Same way you go, what type of help are you needing? Do you need a medical doctor? Do you need a good biblical therapist? And let me just go ahead and say, if you need counseling, be really careful what type of counselor you get. Because there are a lot of whack jobs out there that will get you in more trouble than what you started with. If they don't love the Bible, don't waste your time. That's, that, you may say, well, they might help. They might help. They might cause a lot of issue too. Do they love God's word? And, I, and, I, and I'm all for good therapists and all good counselors, but make sure they love God's word. Number three, who must walk beside me? If you're going through a time like this, who do you need to have around you that can walk with you in these dark seasons of your soul? Do not be alone. You need the kind of people who know. If you're not showing up to church, if you're not showing up for dinner, they know to say, I, I know how to get you out of the room if I got to and open up the blinds if I've got to. So does that help? All right, let me pray. Father, tonight as we come into this place, we thank you for the opportunity we have to talk with us. I do pray for anybody here tonight, no matter where we are or how we might be struggling, God, we know that there's something that each of us go through. 
and in our own lives and in other people's lives, there may be some people who are struggling very um, in, in bad situations, God. But we know this, um, that no matter what is against us, you are for us, you are with us, you are near us, you are before us, you are after us, above us, you, you cover us. And God, so we are just thankful for that, that even in the dark nights of our soul, that we can hope in you, for we shall yet praise you again. You are our salvation. You are our God. We know that your grace is sufficient for us, for your power is perfected in our weakness. So we can boast in our weaknesses and our difficulties and our persecutions and our distresses for Christ's, straight, for Christ's sake. For when we are weak, then we are strong. So God, would you help us uh, either find help in you or to find others find that help in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks.